Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trans podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. Today's episode is sponsored by the Manufacturing for Growth Conference. I am the Director of Technology, Benjamin Moses, and I'm here with... Is that what MFG means? Yeah. Technology analyst, Steve. Steve, welcome to 23, the year of smart glasses. <laughs> Triggered. <laughs> Tell me about your experience with... So you've, okay, so you've had uh, smart glasses for a while, wearable technology over your eyes. Okay. You, you were an early adopter of... I was. Well, I wasn't supposed to be, but I was. And, and for the record... I'm pro smart glasses. Sure. I want smart glasses, these wearables. I want wearables to be uh, uh, successful. Now, I want wearables to work. I need you to differentiate. These aren't AR glasses. These are. They're not AR glasses. Okay. Smart glasses, like like the, the companies that make smart glasses openly admit that. These aren't what you think. Like everybody <laughs> who wants to like who who has thought about like, I want to buy smart glasses, pictures, you know, um, playing the game ace combat sure. and wants like a HUD yep. with like a whiskey mark to identify the heading as they're walking down the street. Right. And, and whatever. And like, you know, uh, uh, in like the lower right hand corner of the time, your ground speed, your altitude, stuff like that. That's awesome. Like right. that's really right. cool. Every, everybody's like child mind that wants to buy smart glasses expects that. And then are super disappointed when I f- they find out that no smart glasses do that. Not even the Google Glass, which was unsuccessful because you look like a total geek wearing right. those. Yeah. But I, I. But anyway, I, yes, I want I want smart glasses as a wearable to succeed. Sure. I want them to be successful. Yeah. Long story short, they're not there yet. And yeah, I technically was an early adopter. I wasn't supposed to be. Um, I bought my girlfriend, now fiance, a pair of snapchat spectacles mm-hmm. in either like 2016 or a long time, long time ago. ago yeah and um the the, the funny thing about that she's maybe used them once or twice <laughs> i've used them like like they, i bought them as like a birthday present for yeah. her yeah. and i've definitely used them way more than she yeah. has which is a good gift strategy for your significant other <laughs> yeah but it's awful because like you know snapchat spectacles like like they have like two distinct styles they yeah, have like yeah. a men's style which uh, look like like ray-ban wayfarers yeah, yeah um foreshadowing and they've got like these cat eye uh f- very feminine sure. sunglasses which you did wear to the gun range once i have worn them to the gun range i've worn them to a racetrack um i i've worn them underneath my visor and on my motorcycle helmet yeah i've i've worn them more often than i'd like to admit good but to be fair they work real snapchat spectacles work pretty well yep. they don't work well anymore because our pairs like from 2016 yeah, and it's yeah. old now it's and deprecated like any any um wireless device not wireless any any mobile device um will its battery will degrade over right. time and like anybody that's running a cell phone from 2016 or earlier today <laughs> you probably have 15 minutes of battery life from a full charge like also, that, that's just something that happens also good for you um <laughs> i'm envious and good for you like, like we're not i don't mean to sound like i'm knocking you at all but naturally they don't have the best battery life sure. anymore yeah. and also 2016 cameras at least mobile device cameras right. weren't the best right so the the resolution and image quality is acceptable sure but it's not the best 
I did really like that the Snapchat Spectacles camera, and, and, and these were camera glasses, effectively. Yep. They they didn't have a HUD. They weren't the smart glass, like Google Lens or yep. whatever it was called. Um, it was just something where you put on these glasses. There, they look. Like, you think they look like sunglasses, but you hit a little button on them, yep. and they can record ten seconds of video, That's up cool. to thirty seconds if you hit the button three times yep. in a row. Um, and if you hold it, it takes like a picture, which sounds backwards, but it's the way to do it. <laughs> sure. Um, that's all they did. That's yep. all. And they had a six axis IMU. Mm-hmm. So like if you tilted your head, like the the image would stay upright. And if you tilted your phone, the image would stay upright when yep. you're viewing the video that you recorded. Yep. It was very cool. Um, ahead of its time and quality tech, like Snapchat right. actually did a really good job making those yep. or whoever they contracted to make them for Snapchat because that's a software company. It's right. a social media company. And frankly, they're deprecated these days, but I still use them. Um, fast forward to earlier this year, mm-hmm. I was like, I really like Melissa's Snapchat spectacles, um, but they're old. I want higher resolution. And I want to see how far the tech has come. Sure. And I need I need a better battery. Yeah. So shopping around, there's not many options you have for smart glasses. Also, I was weighing them against wearing a GoPro, looking like one of those clowns that like <laughs> straps a GoPro to their head or puts yeah. it on their helmet. Motorcyclists, by the way, can be pulled over for having a, a GoPro attached to your head. Apparently, it's against the law in, in several states, wow. if not almost all states, That's interesting. to mount anything to your helmet. Okay. So you can be pulled over. It's one of those things that police won't really pull you over, but it's right. some, if they need to throw the book at you for whatever reason, they'll, they'll add, add that on. Yeah. Um, so I wanted, and I don't want to mess with like, I don't want to buy like a $300 camera and then have to spend another $300 on like mounts and stuff <laughs> and experiment to see what works sure. and then ultimately find out. And then it, it's just, I wanted the minimal head. Like we already have like this amazing mounting hardware called glasses and your ears to put and your ears. <laughs> like it's like quick detached stuff sure. for your face. <laughs> right. Um, wearables, man. Like, like this is where I'm pro wearables. Um, anyway, bought these things called Ray-Ban stories, uh, Ray-Ban's, the brand yep. owned by Luxottica. Mm-hmm. So Luxottica, an Italian company foreshadowing, um, <laughs> I can say that, um, you know, is in charge of making the electronics in these glasses. That's unfortunate. Italian electronics. <laughs> um, Quite the contradiction. And then they've partnered with Meta sure. or Facebook. Yeah. So you get all these features. So like, what are the added features on the Ray-Ban stories compared to the Snapchat spectacle? Higher resolution. The frame rate's not as good. So like the the, the refresh rate yeah. on the camera. Snapchat spectacles was like 60 frames a second. That's nice. It was really good. Facebook, well, the Ray-Ban stories is like 30, yep. which is still it's it's okay. usable, but like it, it's lackluster. Yeah. Um, the Ray-Ban stories added speakers so you could actually play music through your glasses, okay. which was cool. That's cool. Um, there was two cameras instead of one. So you actually had depth perception okay. in the, uh, the image quality. Um, oh, they were voice activated. That's handy. So like if you wanted to keep your visor down, theoretically, right. if you wanted to keep your visor down, you had to say, hey, Facebook, <laughs> start recording, which was like That's a terrible I got command. judged a lot. <laughs> You're saying like you 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 still use Facebook? So on paper, okay, boomer. <laughs> on paper, these are solid incremental changes for yeah, that these device. Are solid incremental changes. But the long story, um, 
Except they for- broke within 10 days. <laughs> they didn't like break because sure. I take care of my glasses, they my sunglasses. They didn't physically break. They didn't physically break, right. but you know, the foreshadowing from earlier, <laughs> Italian electronics, they just didn't, they, I, I, I pulled them out of their like charging case. Yep. The light turns on and it just started blinking. I th- so before, before we get to that. Connect, and I did a hard reset and nothing happened. They Now, then they didn't start. I so. do. I do want you to mention uh, the voice because in manufacturing and in most of the industry, there was a big push for voice activation, voice recognition. Yeah. But tell me about your experience on the voice while you try to use your helmet. Okay. So the voice activation was clearly calibrated for not wearing a motorcycle helmet <laughs> um, because like walking around right. the office, you know, if you wanted to record something, Hey, Facebook, start recording. I really hope this isn't on my app on my phone. <laughs> okay. I need to uninstall that. Um, hey, Facebook, start recording and it would start recording the video. Yep. Um, you could also do a software setting okay. to change it from 30 seconds to 60 seconds. So like on Snapchat spectacles, you had to hit the button three times. If you wanted sure. a 30 second video, um, you could actually set a default in uh, in um, fate meta view, right. which was the app that controls it. Um, anyway, the voice activation worked when you weren't wearing a helmet. Right. Put the the first time I decided to test it on the motorcycle, on the bike, put my helmet on, hit the road. Yep. Hey, Facebook, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> um, and then I was like, okay. We're returning a $400 thing. And I did a little bit more testing sure. in the office, like a nerd wearing my, my motorcycle <laughs> helmet. I was like, how can we like, do these actually not work when you're wearing a motorcycle yeah. helmet and the visor has to be open all uh, the way. Yeah. And I can't be moving for it to register. Hey, Facebook, right. which is annoying because like, if you're stopped with your visor open, just hit the button. <laughs> That's true. Don't let everybody know that you still have a Facebook account. And I think that's a, to your point earlier, uh, foreshadowing some of the other technology hurdles. So, you know, the AI or machine learning stuff used to um, say, hey, Facebook record at, yeah. at that level. Putting it on a helmet is an environment where that's not programmed. That's something that doesn't exist in the, you know, uh, the training uh, tool. So right. stretching be, it outside, yeah. it's in a trained environment is a big problem. Yeah. And to to be fair and to be nice, these glasses probably weren't calibrated to be used with a motorcycle helmet over them. Sure. Um, one last final gripe before I get into the positives, which is only one. Okay. Um, <laughs> the fit and finish was terrible. So yeah, like because yeah. they were stuffing electronics into the arms of the glasses, each arm was a minimum of two pieces and right. it was a mold. It was injection molded plastic and which anyway, mold lines on uh, any plastic piece, yeah, if they're irritating. not finished very well, which Ray-Bans are supposed to be made in Italy and hand polished. These clearly weren't right. because even though Luxottica is a, an Italian company, it did say made in China on them. Right. Um, the mold line, putting the glasses on, like stabbed my temples every time. <laughs> Man, and I, that's rough. I figured like wearing, if you wore these every day and like took them off and on however many times people take off and on their glasses. Right. Um, I'd probably have scarring at least on my right <laughs> temple. I didn't notice it on my left. Sure. Um, probably cause I'm left hand dominant and I put that arm first yeah. and then the right arm stabs my face. <laughs> um, yeah. It, like it was not smooth. That's unfortunate. And it had a very sharp mold line. Before you get into the positives, I'm still, on the camp that wearables suck. 
I, they do. I have a Fitbit. There's so I know much people potential. have smart watches. It's just the one thing I needed to do. It's like almost there. And it just doesn't get me all the way. And like the fit and finish is never quite right compared to uh, traditional equipment. And it's it's close, but it it's for the early adopters that are trying to do something there. So I still wear a Fitbit to track my exercise. But other than that, yeah, I'll never wear a wearable. Like like the innovators and the and the 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 technology developers of these wearables are like oh my God, life can be made. So like the world can be made a better place if we put these sensors on humans and like make their lives better. Yeah. The trouble is you have to put technology on humans now and that's where everything goes wrong. Yep. Um, Steve, I'm I'm pro wearables. Hit me on the positive and then we got transition. Okay. The positive, um, the, the pair of glasses that I bought because I wear, I ride my motorcycle in the day and at night. Yep. Um, and I want to wear them at all times. I bought the I bought the pair with transitions lenses, um, <laughs> photochromic lenses, yeah, meta material, sure, uh, in the ink. So you're living in the in the dye that tints the lenses. Yeah. So I was one of those like nerds, like <laughs> in public school growing up, that had like that came in from recess and like they're gla- like why. Wait a minute! You're wearing sunglasses? Yeah. Oh no, they're my they're my normal glasses. They're just tinted right now. Just give it a second. Um, and it's just, but like they also they react really slowly. Very so slow. like when you'd come in from re- recess, they'd like take you know two three school periods before <laughs> they would clear up again. And like if you go outside the in the bright summer day or, or spring day, yeah. you'd be blinded by the sun. And then by the time the tint kicked in. And by the time, you know, your pupils had reacted to being blinded by the sun, uh, you couldn't see because they were <laughs> way too dark and you were still recovering from being like flash banged yeah. by the sun. Um, but anyway, the 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 meta materials like like the that that chemical reaction that's done by photochromic lenses um, has advanced and engineers have and scientists have made that dye much better and it works much faster these yep. days and it can get clearer and darker. Um, nice. It's, it's come a long way and I'm totally sold on them now. Side note. It's weird when you observe that line versus welding shields and how fast those react and how efficient they those really? are. Oh, we'll talk about that. Are those photochromic? Time. We'll talk about that another time. Cause I've put on like a welding mask before and maybe it was just a cheap one. Yeah. Can't see a thing. So the high, I get it that things like super bright, like bright enough to right. blind you. Like if you smell toast, it means you're going blind. Yeah. It's supposed to protect you from that. But like, right. how do you even see what you're doing before you're doing it? You gotta, so you always see the head flip, which is the traditional yeah. style, right? So that's the static. Um, uh, I'm not gonna lie. It looks shield. so cool when people do that. Yeah. You, and yeah. you know, they feel cool when oh, they yeah. do it. Yeah. But then if you look at the high end shields, uh, face masks, they're they're auto tinting. That's cool. So fun times. Steve. Bless tell, you, welders. Tell me about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor, the MFG conference. Manufacturing continues to grow at a rapid rate. Stay ahead of the curve at the MFG meeting this April. The MFG meeting is the ultimate gathering of manufacturing technology minds, bringing together a community of solutions and solvers. Learn how to keep pace with growing demand, make lifelong connections, and see what opportunities lie on the horizon. Go to amtonline.org slash events to register. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, MFG. I'll be there. What does MFG mean again? Manufacturing for growth. That's it. 
And Nobody knows that at AMT. I promise you. You put me on the spot there for a second. Good job. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> testbed. You've got some stuff going on testbed. Bro. Okay. So <laughs> in April, on April 8th, that's a Saturday, I'm going on business travel during the weekend, but this is how much I love my job, um, to uh, the Bay Area, Oakland, I think, um, for a robot block party. Yep. It's hosted by SVR, Silicon Valley Robotics. And they're having a block party with robots. <laughs> and I'm really excited to be going there because number one for like the research that AMT does on the latest manufacturing technology and in this case, robotic technology. But I'm also really excited because it's not often we at AMT and you and I have, but the rest of our colleagues probably haven't. Right. We're going there with, you know, a blank check because, you know, we want to buy a robot for the test bed, which is why we're talking about this in the test bed topics. Well, easy with a blank check, but yes, a check. Okay, not a, okay. we got a little budget and I mean little, but it's I'm still excited. Like maybe we'll buy something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really hope we'll buy something. And the, the nice thing about that. The last time we did this, we went to quality show <laughs> with the same budget and we were probably at, in the best case scenario. Short of the cheapest <laughs> thing by like two thirds. <laughs> that was one. That was a disappointing show. But second, we're not being able to. That's leave. not nice. I'm sorry. I mean, quality show's great. The show doesn't exist anymore. It was great. <laughs> R.A.P. Riff. But the the nice thing about the the Royal, obviously, we could see uh, for our purposes to buy uh, test bed equipment. But seeing the latest companies and latest because yeah. they are, they are based in Silicon Valley, so you're going to see an intersection of. The latest robotics and the latest software and probably the big companies too. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. That I can't afford. Yeah. We um, can't afford. So it's for an event itself, being able to go there for a day and see what and talk about the latest technology that are potentially coming up is a fantastic way to spend a weekend. Yeah. So cool. I'm excited I'm really for looking that. forward to that. Speaking of cutting us technology. This trip is sponsored by the quality show. Press up <laughs> to pay your specs. <laughs> Chat GPT. Chat GPT, it's making waves. And uh, naturally, last week, I decided, you know what? I need, I need to put up another LinkedIn post. Um, why, don't I, why, don't I, why don't I take try, try my hand at Chat GPT? And, you know, being the snarky technology analyst at AMT that I am, I decided to go um, to Chat GPT. And like, like I saw, I've seen so many like Twitter posts. Yep. Well, people have shared with me so many Twitter posts of like, you know, uh, writing love poems to their significant other using chat GPT. And then like the spouse finds out that chat GPT wrote it and they're like, I want a divorce. <laughs> like you had somebody else write this for it. It's like chat GPT in a lot of cases is becoming Cierno. Um That'll, that'll, that'll please a lot of humanities nerds. Um, but um, I decided like, you know, I, we've got a pocket NC. Yep. Dear chat GPT, write me a G code program. For a pocket NC V2-10, Penta machine pocket NC V2-10 with one inch diameter Delrin bar stock and a quarter inch end mill. Make me a part. Nice. And nothing wrong with asking that. Nothing wrong with that. And its response was better than I anticipated. Tell me more. I expected to like get. Here's a pro a random program with yeah. for a random part that you can make with what you gave me. Like a search result type thing. And instead. Because it's chat GPT and it's conversational. The reason why conversational works over like, you know, open AI's playground right. is because chat GPT is taking the AI a step further, knowing that humans are dumb. <laughs> and it's like, 
if we work through this conversationally, I can get you better results. And it comes back to me. It's like based off the following information, this is great. And I'd love to make you a G code program, but I need some more information. Oh, how big do you want your part? What kind of part do you want? Um, and ask a few more questions and, and it was just really good. And immediately was like, Okay, I'm ending this conversation right now, <laughs> taking a screenshot. I'm posting this on LinkedIn, and I'm like, Cam GPT question mark. And I the feedback that I got from that post. Um and that's where we want to talk about it, the feedback. The mainly. feedback was extreme. Yeah. And I appreciated it. Okay. Because on one hand, we'll start with the positive feedback, the positive extreme. People are like, this is great. I, I hope you do a series of articles on this. Sure. I hope somebody actually tests this. And it was like, dude, we've got a test <laughs> bed. We've got a machine sitting idle. We're, you know, you can bet your bottom that we're going to, uh, we're going to have chat GPT, make us some G code files. Yeah. And I got really pot. People are really want to see that. So I'm like, for the year, I've like put everything else on hold and we're doing <laughs> cam GPT first. Right. On the other side of the spectrum, they're like, and, and and I get they're not being necessarily negative, but it's a little bit more critical in that they're like, this is going to dude, I'm telling you, this is going to lead to some extreme machine tool crashes. <laughs> I hope you're recording. They go straight to machine tool crashes. And while I feel that sure. I get that it's sure. like at the same time, I get it. I don't have I've never been a professional machinist. Sure. I've never had to make a quota of parts to ship the next day or next week, whatever. I've never had to ship anything like physical. And. Like, like I don't have actual experience in the manufacturing industry as a machinist. Right. But at the same time, I wasn't born yesterday. I know enough (laughs) about the the manufacturing workflow. Right. To know that even if like a. A 15-year veteran or 20-year veteran cam engineer hands a machinist a program. Right. Like, these are the parts our customer wants. This is the program to make them. Yep. Run them. We need uh, 100 parts by next week. Yep. They say something like that. The machinist isn't going to load stock material, <laughs> right. like, like the, the the stock, the expensive stock material yep. and a brand new tool into the machine upload the program and hit go and walk away go for their smoke break you know make some memes on instagram (laughs) no they're not gonna do that like they're gonna run it in a simulator first to make sure that the engineer wasn't smoking crack yep and then they're going once once the simulation looks good and if it doesn't it goes back to the engineer right um and then it falls on them because you know if something (laughs) goes wrong if like they don't deliver their parts yeah they don't want it to be on them right so they're gonna send that back to the engineer if it if it passes the simulation, then they run an air cut. Yep. If nothing looks and, and while they're air cutting, you can bet your bottom <laughs> that the machinist is hovering the e-stop the entire time. Yep. And maybe even slowing down the feed rate, doing a negative feed rate override, yep. a spindle override, stuff like that during the air cut. Um, air cut passes. Everything looked Gucci. Then we put in some wax. And a worn tool um, that's as close to the specs of the tool that we need to use. And we're going to cut a wax part. Right. Make sure everything looks good. More importantly, make sure everything sounds good. Mm. And again, hover the (laughs) e-stop the entire time. Yep. And 
If that works, then okay, we'll try our first part with a new tool with the expensive material that the customer wants the part made yep. out of. And if everything looks good, deliver the parts. And that's the interesting part of when you They think I don't know that. <laughs> that's the interesting thing. So observing that conversation, uh, I, I saw the LinkedIn post and it was fantastic. And seeing the conversation afterwards, you see two diverse camps. And I think that kind of represents where we are in the manufacturing space. People that uh, understand the workflow that you kind of walk through, it's all about risk reduction. Yeah. Right? You start with an idea and the risk is I could break a, you know, a quarter, half a million dollar machine. Yes, that's that's a valid risk. But how do I reduce that risk? Even on traditional, on something we do day in and day out, you still have risk of crashing that machine. Yeah. With still tons of uh, GIFs and memes of people crashing the machines because they didn't reduce the risk. Technology adoption is no, no difference where we have a risk of, hey, it's a new thing to get me an end state. But how do I reduce that risk? Simulating and building your confidence to get there. Right. And it, it's interesting to see the des- decisiveness in the online posting of that. Or, right. Yeah, there is a risk of crashing machine, but that risk is everything and everything yeah. they do. So, so like, was, it was very fascinating to hear that argument. I be, Being a motorcyclist, I am not the most supportive of Tesla because there is a rampant issue of Tesla's crashing into motorcyclists because they didn't see them. Right. Um, it, this is, this is a real thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I still tr- trust uh Tesla autopilot yep. over the fanciest Mercedes Benz with all of the safety features and, you know, a six axis IMU traction control and cornering ABS sure. and all of this stuff. I still don't. I still trust that more than some dingus driver who's on their phone. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. I agree. And like, just just treat Jet Chat Jeep like. Anyway, I'm more yeah. confident that I'm going to get a better program out of <laughs> Chat GPT sure. than myself. Right. Not a cam engineer, by the way. Yeah. Using the quote easiest software ever to yeah. generate uh, um, a manufacturing program. Like, I'm sorry. It's easier for me to use Chat GPT than Fission 720. <laughs> That's supposed to be super easy, and it's like the easiest software ever. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Steve, let's get into some articles. Yeah. That was good. The first one I've got is interesting because it's the intersection of AI and 3D printing. So I'm going to continue the conversation. We're going to actually continue this conversation on these technologies a lot today. This is great. This is from azo.com. Let me just, before you go on, let yeah. me just say that I love how much the the perception, the society's perception of AI has changed yeah. in recent months. Like a month. A month. <laughs> because like last year, everybody was throwing AI around as a buzzword. It's like, yeah. this yeah. new software uses AI. And now we actually know what AI is capable of. Yeah. And it's like, do you really have, is, does this really use AI? Yeah. yeah. Or is this just some algorithm? <laughs> like, go on. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. Uh, so in the article, they cover a lot of different scenarios where they're implementing artificial intelligence or machine learning or different mathematical uh, codes to help either improve 3D printing or make 3D printing more accessible. Some of the themes they hit on were um, remote detection for faults using AI. And that, that I want to jump on in a little bit. Um, but the one I want to talk about right now real quick is AI-based printability checker. So if you've got a farm, if I have one printer, okay, how do you know if it's going to work? Mm. So in everything I've seen on Reddit uh, following hobbyist printing, <laughs> you know, 
I understand how industrial printing works. Like mm-hmm. Walking you through scenario, there's a lot of simulations, a lot of risk reduction in that process. Hobby printing is like, I got a, I got a boat. I'm going to print it. And then they just hope for the best. You know, reducing their risk in those environments, I think, is an uh, interesting approach. So uh, what they're doing is um, being able to theorize the capability of the printing machine and what's needed from the object. Gotcha. And matching uh, based on that, you know, uh, set. So basically uh, improving the uh, thought process as this print will work. So I thought that was good. That's, that's, that's useful in most spaces. Um, the other one I wanted to hit on was, um, oh, that's actually back here, the AI uh, remote detection for faults with AI. So okay. um, in situ printing, yeah. So as you're printing a part, right, porosity is always a concern or thermal deviation mm-hmm. is always a concern um, or thermal compensation, um, if you want to phrase it positively. So as you're printing a part, right, being able to uh, understand, is it going to be a good part? What do I need to do in the machine as I'm printing to make sure I can reduce porosity or uh, adjust the um, print uh, direction so right. I can compensate for the thermal uh, deviation? So I thought that was kind of interesting when they talk about uh, those two main scenarios where, yeah, you 3D printing has come a long way. Yeah. No doubt. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, on some scenarios, it's hit uh, production environments. It's still adding value. We've talked about why you want it, what part to choose. And, uh, you know, the operational efficiency for gas flows is a big one. So 3D printing still has a ways to go where it can add value to uh, most designs. But the gap to getting a good part over and over again and mm. the qualification requirements, there's still hurdles yeah. to get there. Right. So I think, you know, a couple of these bullets that uh, the article hits on helps reduce those risks and uh, reduce the cost for entry for a lot of 3d printed parts. Yeah. So, but that was cool. The only thing I, I agree with you, but the only thing I disagree with what you said is 3d printing, adding value to design. It's working backwards. Well, design is supposed to add value to 3d printing. That's why there's like entire organizations for DFAM. Yeah, exactly. So it's. But but everything I heard did say none of this is possible without in situ metrology. Uh, 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. We can get into that another time. So I mean, we have so many times before. <laughs> I want to hear your article on not exoskeletons, skins, exoskins, exoskins. So go, coming back to wearables. Yep. You know, um, not smart wearables, just aware. Oh, actually, I'm mistaken. We're talking about smart wearables here. It is, yeah, it's kind of smart. Yeah, I'd say it's yeah. smart um, company. So first off, I love tech trends sent me this article. Rather, I searched for I searched what's new today. Right. And um, I got this article motor skins, uh, which is the name of the company, the material that's changing people's lives. Cool. It's like, great. You know, yeah, yeah. Another okay, cool. okay, another startup that thinks they can change the world. Um, I don't know if they're a startup or not, but but I really I, I'm a fan of this technology. But the 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 website that posted this news, amazing name. It's called designwanted.com. Oh, that's cool. I love that. Yeah. Really long-winded article. Glad I used AI to summarize it for me. Anyway, motor skins, the metal material that's changing people's lives. Since cool. we've talked about wearables yep. and we've talked about meta material, this is a perfect segue. Um, the, the lenses. Yeah. yeah transitions, yeah, lenses, yeah. meta material for the wearables, the glasses. Anyway, imagine – I'm going to try to keep this short, but like the motor skins company is basically making a 
a wearable wrap okay. that delivers or that produces exoskin exoskeleton like performance. Cool. So where we've seen, you know, in aliens, the, uh, the power loader 5,000 by Caterpillar. Right. And in real life, we've seen like the Hilti exoskeletons for holding up heavy power tools for long periods of time without, yep. you know, permanently damaging your body. Mm-hmm. So you'll actually be able to lift your arms up when you're 80. Um, now this motor skins wants to do exoskin like performance for you. Yep. But in a wrap, something that oh, you okay. wrap around or put on like clothes. Sure. So and it's very close. It's not big, bulky equipment. Right. Yeah. And and they're not focusing right now on um, increasing performance of like a construction worker. OK. They're focusing on helping people with disabilities or injuries. That's interesting. And so like immediately what went what I thought of was how cool would it be? Like you, you break your, that one. It wouldn't be cool to break your arm. Sure. But like, okay. if you got like a broken arm or a sprained ankle and you know, the doctor applies a splint to it yep. instead of just holding everything in place. So your body can heal. Yeah. Holds everything in place and performs like nothing ever happened to yeah. you without having your muscles put any work forward yeah, so it, it yeah. replaces your muscles allowing your body to heal and yep. and bones to mend um and then once it's all done then you take the stuff off but while it's healing yep. they're not stressed at all because the the exoskin wrap mm-hmm. is doing all of the work for you yeah, it's an unbelievable concept i'm not sure i don't know enough about how far along sure the technology sure. is but it's a Listen, I, transitions came a long way, and I'm super <laughs> pro transitions right now. So I do have two observations. I want to throw back to a video game called Crisis, where oh, that looks exactly like the character. So if you ever played that game, we briefly talked about how that's still a benchmarking uh, utility when for like you come out like a billion years ago, and computers still can't run. It. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that that's foreshadowing for this. <laughs> I hope not. Motor skins, please be successful. And the second part is, I feel like this is a, a continuing discussion of soft robotics, where it's yeah. your energizing system through other means where I feel like this is a very interesting application where, yeah, we're heavily fo- like all the companies you mentioned were heavily focused on the workforce, but there's a whole uh, other group of um, temporary uh, like needs for those uh, injured uh, body parts. How do you keep someone functional during that time? Which is, mm. you know, to be fair, sitting on a couch sounds cool at first until you got that itch on your leg and you're trying to scratch it with a ruler and you got nowhere to go. Yeah. So being able to stay mobile and uh, say useful during an injured time is is surprisingly uh, or beneficial. until you realize that like you know that that time sitting on the couch cutting into your paid paid time off <laughs> you know stuff like that. Steve, question for you: We're yes. running running a little bit long on time. Okay, I would like to skip my article on future of work upskilling workers. <sighs> I'm to sorry. the next time. But I really want the energy you're going to bring to talk about your last article. Okay. I'm really excited <laughs> about this last article. And only you and I are going to be excited about sure. it. And we're about to lose all of our listeners. So g- goodbye now. But if you want to stay on, good for you. Um, my last article is from Canadian Metalworking. The best kind of metalworking. <laughs> I love the Canadians. Don't necessarily agree with their politics. But, man, I love them when it comes to manufacturing. Sure. Um so Canadian Metalworking, how much machining power do you need? Very good question. It's the title of the article. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, man, we're going to talk about like, you know, because immediately I thought, well, I, when, when we bought our test bed, when we bought the pocket NC, I knew we didn't need a five axis <laughs> machine, but I wanted one. Yeah. I thought we were going to talk about stuff like that. Yeah. Click on the link, read the short article, the yeah. nicely nice brief article, saw some physics equations. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize this was a thing. Yeah. Oh, and it's huge. I didn't like Okay, so in the in the American manufacturing society, right. everybody's like, you need it. You know, everybody needs to strive for eighty percent OEE overall equipment efficiency. <laughs> sure, you know, we really want one hundred percent. We want all of our machines one hundred percent uptime, uh, running all of the time, and uh, at like maximum spindle speed. Sure, you know, max performance right. all the time, and. I never stopped to think about, wait a minute, in a job shop or yeah. factory, if all of the machines, assuming they're all like spindle CNC machines, if all the machines are running at the same time right, with the sp- their spindle at 100% capacity yep. and chip load yep. or, or machine load at 100% capacity, can like... Can the facility, like, <laughs> can we not just the the facility, grid? <laughs> can inf- infrastructure actually handle that? Like, can you run yeah, that? Yeah. Can a factory run at 100%, full 100%, without lying, yeah. actually running at 100% without destroying the power grid? Like, it's, is this why Texas keeps losing power? Because people right. are actually trying this? <laughs> so that is a very good question. And uh, so backing up a little bit, the Department of Energy does have a couple of manufacturing institutes looking at that problem specifically of, the quantity of energy used by sectors. So yeah. manufacturing, obviously, it's one of the biggest ones that's consuming energy. So the global scale, like you mentioned, like if everyone's running max power, full uh, power capacity, it's probably not the best condition. You probably, it depends on how the system was developed too and how old the uh, facility is. Yeah. But that's at the big level. If you look down to, you know, we used to use form cutters a lot. Mm-hmm. And since you're cutting the full form, you're pulling a full load on your machine. Okay. So being able to calculate how much of a load is required to cut or horsepower required to cut that form versus yeah. the capability. I remember um, when I was running a twin spindle once and we had um, a reground cutter. So it had more clearance in between the teeth um, to allow for ch- better chip evacuation, which is a big problem with form cutters. I didn't do that the first time I was running the machine, <laughs> and I definitely overloaded the machine. I saw the uh, power capability go 100%, 110%. My manager came over and said, Ben, that's not good. <laughs> so then we took a second. It's like, oh, the chips weren't being evacuated. They were clogging in the cutter. Okay. Once I put the regrounds in, then it was like 10 15%. Yeah. So you know, to your point of at the detail level of how much power do I need to cut this form versus at the you know, infrastructure level. There's a lot of questions on yeah. manufacturing energy usage. Like, like today, reading this article, I learned about that there's a thing called K factor <laughs> and like how to calculate your K factor. Yep. Like enter yep. like, you know, your chip load, your spindle speed, yep. your feed rate. Yep. And you'll get like a K factor of like, you know, the the, the move, the uh, uh, the pass that you're making on your part and like yep. how much power is required for that. And it's just fascinating. And, like, you know, it's always nice like being able to, feel like I'm in school again, even though <laughs> don't ever send me back to school. But like just just being reacquainted with some physics equations felt really good. And I think the the takeaway is as some manufacturers are moving towards an independent uh, power, uh, power distribution. So a couple of our members have 
uh, solar panels on their machine. So they've gone to uh, independent uh, electricity g- generation. So yeah. they're, not rely- they're not relying on the power grid. They're relying on generating their own power. So for them to understand how much power I need and how many solar panels do I need, how many batteries can I support and things like that. I think as more manufacturers shift to um, turbines, um, water, or um, ele- uh, solar panels, energy consumption is going to be more of a topic in the U.S. Now, in Europe, it's been discussed a long time because the cost of energy is so high. Yeah. Um, can we please have nuclear? I mean, yeah, I, I'd like it. Microgridding. That's where everyone's yeah. going. Okay. Steve, that's a great way to end the episode. This was fun. Can you tell people how to find more info about us? amtonline.org slash resources. Well done. That's it, right? That's it. I do this every time, <laughs> and I forgot today. Can we write it down for you? No, no. I'm just, I'm, I've got, I'm just got equations on my mind right now. Nice. Not URL. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye.